Thank you. Crashing you into Mr. Wayne. No, please don't. Um... I need you here now, Barry. So you're saying you could travel back in time? But Bruce, I can fix things. I can save people. I can save my mom. I can save your parents. You can also destroy everything. I love you, Pat. I love you too. So how was it this week? How's school? School was good. Oh, this is mad trippy. Dude, this is catastrophic. This world must die. I'm not gonna lose there again. It's not Clark. My name is Kara. I will help you. Interesting group. Lots of help. He's Batman? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Oh, this rips! We're in uncharted territory. Batman, what do we do? We try not to die. Are you ready? Ready. Let's go. You have fancy friends. No, it was an Uber. Oh, exact. Hello and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ and... Some problems you just can't fix. In episode 322 today, June 26th, 2023. We're going to be going right into our topic of the day, which is... The Flash Movie Review. Now, this has been quite the journey in terms of the Zack Snyder vision of the DCEU. And... There, if I had to kind of give a high level synopsis of, well, not really synopsis, but more of my personal take, I would say that it was kind of a mixed bag, just in terms of certain movies that were absolutely fantastic and other films that were like, eh, and they were they were so so, they were not as good. More specifically, Man of Steel was terrific. Wonder Woman was terrific. Wonder Woman 2, yeah, not so good. Aquaman, not so good, but I appreciated the uh, the effort and the, you could tell that they were very passionate about what they were doing. They were having a good time. When you think of the Justice League, the Joss Whedon version, yeah, it was okay, not, not, not the best. The Zack Snyder cut version, whoa, that was amazing. Batman versus Superman, honestly, for me, 
eh, not that good. So you see this kind of back and forth going on within um, several of these films that were all kind of part of this collective Zack Snyder vision of what the DCEU could be. Now, when it comes to The Flash, The Flash has been a particular point of interest for me personally, just because I don't read The Flash comics. Therefore, I don't really have an in-depth expert understanding of who Barry Allen is, all the different kinds of adventures that he has been on. But what's interesting about what I do know from more of a, a kind of a peripheral understanding is he's capable, obviously, of going super fast. He's capable of time travel. And he's also capable of kind of bouncing about within the multiverse itself, jumping in and out of, of parallel realities and so forth. So that's what I knew going in to seeing the Flash movie. And at a high level, I got to say, I had a good time. It was a fun movie. If you haven't seen the movie, it's not perfect. There are certain issues that I'll get into in just a minute. But overall, I mean, I really found myself buying into and getting immersed by what was going on. I still think that for me personally, the Back to the Future trilogy is still king when it comes to the time travel theme, if you will, when it comes to various films and movies and stuff. But this movie really was successful in certain key areas. So before I go any further, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to hear about spoilers, you have been forewarned because I'm about to go into many a spoiler. So without further ado, the movie itself takes place kind of more or less back in the, uh, the, the Gotham city area. Now, full disclosure, I've said on this program before in the past, I'm not the biggest Ben Affleck Batman fan. I like Ben Affleck as an actor. I like him in other roles in other films, but when it comes to Batman, Batman is my favorite comic book character. So I am very particular as to who I enjoy seeing play the role because it's a, it's a complicated role. It's very complex in terms of the, the character idiosyncrasies and the behaviors and that sort of thing. I'm more of a Michael Keaton and uh, Christian Bale Batman fan as opposed to Ben Affleck, but I know there are many Ben Affleck fans out there as well. So, you know, what, what, whatever, your, whatever your flavor is, I say, you know, you just, just rock it with that. So it, what, I say that because... While I didn't care for uh, Ben Affleck in, say, the Justice League or Batman versus Superman, what is interesting is that in this film, I actually really enjoyed seeing him on screen. And so I figured it'd be a good spot to kind of kick this whole review off in the sense that this, this does take place in the, the beginning of the film where we're catching up with Barry. We're seeing all kind of what's happening, what's going on. And there's like this heist that's going on and Batman calls the flash to be able to, to come and, and basically as, as Barry would put it, uh, have janitor duty be thrust upon him while he's trying to get some food, uh, just to start off his, his work day. What I thought was especially cool was how they depicted Batman in this. He looked amazing. 
um, the suit had been updated. And again, for me personally, I wasn't a big fan of how the bat suit looked in Batman versus Superman or in the justice league. Again, it's just one person's opinion. I know, I know there are other folks who, who did like it for me. Again, I'm more of kind of like that Tim Burton bat suit or the, the Christopher Nolan bat suit style. And I know they were kind of going for a bit of a Frank Miller vibe with Ben's suit in particular. It's just that when I, when I saw it in those films, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'd take it or leave it. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. This one, however, they made some alterations and updates to the wardrobe. And suddenly I'm like, well, okay, I'm feeling it now. This is looking really good. And that entire heist sequence where Batman's in pursuit of these, these criminals and whatnot, the whole action sequence was awesome. It was really fun to see Batman on, on his bat cycle or bat pod, whatever you want to call it. And the amount of um, agility and, and physical prowess that was on display, it, to me, it didn't look like overly CG or anything. And I, I was just really having fun in what was arguably a very swashbuckling scene. And while that's going on, we see Barry go to this, this one particular area in the city and is essentially, like he said, uh, he's on janitor duty. And I, I, I actually really like that because it sets the tone for the film in the sense that every film that we have seen Barry in so far, he has been kind of more on the sidelines where he's not front and center doing things. Although arguably like within Justice League, there was a particular scene that he was extremely instrumental. In fact, they wouldn't have been able to <laughs> kind of set the scene or, or set the, the stage to be able to save the universe without him. So, I mean, he definitely has value. He has purpose, but I think it was really neat how they started to explore a bit of his mindset as to how, you know, you have the more of the central heroes of the justice league, such as Superman, Batman, wonder woman, that sort of thing. And so, you know, he's having to kind of clean up Batman's mess while Batman gets to go do all the exciting stuff. What's interesting about that scene to me is how, on the one hand, we we are getting to know Barry a little bit more, and there is a bit of, of comic relief that's in there. And honestly, I dig it. I think it's cool. I think that, that you need to have a balance between the drama and some of the more humorous moments. As long as the humorous moments don't overtake the entire movie. You can have moments of, of relief here and there, that sort of thing. And it, it plays into the multiple personality types as well of these different types of heroes. Now I mentioned earlier about how I thought the CG with uh, the Batman sequences, I thought were very good. The CG in this movie is also a mixed bag in the sense that in certain sequences, the CG in my opinion is very good. However, there are other um, situations or sequences where the CG is just bad. And I've looked online, I've read some stories about how supposedly the director said that the, the CG parts that people are complaining about were intentional, like he wanted them to look that way, which I'm like, if that's the case, I, I think that was a poor creative decision because... On the one hand, well, let, let, let me actually give you an example. So when Barry is cleaning up Batman's mess, at one point, 
there's a hospital that is starting to crumble the building itself. And there is a wing where all the newborn babies are and the babies all get thrown out of the windows. And so the flash is having to like use his super speed in order to try and save all these babies. The babies looked bad. Like, I'm just going to throw that out there. You see how <laughs> these babies are in slow motion and I get it. Like I, I like the vibe of how the flash was doing his thing. And so we're kind of in his world while he's doing these things and how like, you know, being in slow motion, you can see some kind of funny visuals like the dog falling, for example, and his tongue just sticking out and him looking around, his lips are flapping like that kind of humor. I really like. However, with the babies, the babies looked so CG. And when I say CG, I'm not talking about photorealistic CG. I'm talking about CG that is just, it looks like it's work in progress. Like, like barely out of, I mean, okay, better than animatics. But at the same time, like the final polish phase has not been applied yet kind of thing where it's like, you know, they know how the, the scene is going to look. They know the the animations and the and the trajectory of like how all these CG elements are going to exist within this live action shot. But my goodness, like every time I saw that, I as an audience member was <laughs> jerked out of this suspense of disbelief just simply because the babies looked so fake. So. This is a reoccurring issue throughout the film where you have moments where the CG is actually really, really good. And then you have other moments where the CG is just bad. Like you're just like, what on earth is going on? Another example of this is when we go on this adventure with Barry and he suddenly discovers that he has the ability to time travel. I liked the concept Right. So the idea being he's in this kind of nucleus bubble thing, and I'm sure the comics explain this very well. I just don't read the comics, so I can't really <laughs> succinctly be able to explain it to all of you. But as a moviegoer, I was able to gather, okay, we, we, you know, they wanted to kind of showcase a very compartmentalized, like consolidated visual of like how he could see all these different events that have transpired through time and how he could be able to access them at any given point. Not only that, but also look at parallel realities that also could be, you know, in the past or in the present or in the future. The execution of these visuals, however, again, it, it just didn't look good. It was, it was just this very rough, CGI and especially when it came to like various actors or characters that are, you know, in my mind, they need to be as photo real as possible. If you're going to do CG, they have got to look like they really exist there. You can't get away with some kind of overtly stylized or cartoony um, type of, of visual because then it just doesn't work. It falls apart. So, yeah, I mean, like, there, there are a number of different types of, of scenarios like that. So putting that back on the shelf for a bit, the actual story of this movie uh, was one that I really liked. I felt as though it was one of the more stronger stories that have been told during the whole Zack Snyder's vision of the DCEU. And that's saying something. 
you know, I, I really like the idea of how this whole entire story centered around how he had lost his mother and how once he discovers that he does have these time travel abilities that he wants to be able to go back in time and save his mother from dying. And I think that that's a, a very universal theme that anybody can get behind, right? The actual journey portion of that where he actually goes and if you, for those of you who've seen the film, um, he's doing his little like, you know, going back into that weird like nucleus bubble time travel thing. And then there's some kind of alien creature that like shoves him or punches him or something into one of the, the parallel realities. And this is where the fun really begins is that he finds his house. He sees the 18 year old version of himself, but in the, this dual reality, that version of himself doesn't have his powers, but he does. His mom and dad are still alive and together. And I think there is something very cerebral that is going on within these scenes that I think that they were successful in, in terms of the emotionality of seeing like his face and how he's, he's trying to keep it together. But at the same time, he's so overwhelmed by seeing his family just living their lives and nothing's wrong. And they don't know who he is in terms of being from this other uh, parallel reality himself. That all I think was, was extremely well done. The relationship that begins with his other version of Barry is also really cool. I know that there are some instances where when they're riffing off each other and bantering and that sort of thing, there is a bit of, Ezra Miller overload, I want to say, just because the kind of character or role that he's playing in this is one that is a bit eccentric. And it definitely works when he's playing off of other characters from other movies. When he has his sole standalone film, and especially when there's two of them, um, not often, but I would say every once in a while, I was starting to get a little overloaded with the the kind of the, the performance style and the persona that was being given. Luckily, you know, it would reach a kind of point where I was like, oh man, I'm kind of getting overwhelmed, but then it would simmer back down. It's like, okay, now we're back to doing, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the normal storytelling once more. I'm not feeling kind of overloaded with with this type of eccentric personality. But I do think a lot of that was intentional too, just because, I mean, who isn't curious to see, like if, if I ran into another version of myself, what type of personality quirks or behavior patterns would be elevated or intensified by having two of us. And especially if the two of us were interacting with each other, how would that jive exactly? So it's actually a, a pretty neat exploration in my opinion when it comes to all that another aspect of the story that i thought was really cool was the idea that barry you know because he he's inexperienced with time travel he's inexperienced with going into dual realities um he's thinking that oh well this version of myself needs to go through the same experience that i went through so therefore i'm going to take him to my place of work and sit him in the chair, like right when this lightning strike is supposed to occur. And then he'll be able to get his powers again. It's that whole butterfly effect. And, and I find that type of uh, topic very fascinating because of just the amount of accountability and consequence 
that go on as a result of meddling within the space-time continuum. You know, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why I've been such a huge Back to the Future trilogy fan is that Robert Zemeckis did a masterful job of exploring just how responsibility really plays a central role. Like, like you can't, well, I think Doc Brown had one of the best lines when he said, I did not invent the time machine for financial gain. I invented the time machine uh, to be able to, you know, understand humanity better. I'm kind of paraphrasing that a bit, but there was a lot of that hyper awareness of the fact that when you're time traveling, like you have got to be on your A game. You've got to be hyper aware of your surroundings and what it is you're doing and how you need to just really tread lightly and make as minimal of an impact as you possibly can. And we see that to a certain extent within the flash. I do think it was a great idea how they also played around with the idea that by having Barry take his other Barry to this place of work and the lightning strikes and how his powers are stripped from him and transferred to Barry number two. (laughs) That's probably an easy way for me to be able to describe as Barry number one and Barry number two. So that's cool because I really got the feeling of how Barry number one really started to have a sense of vulnerability because now not only is he trapped in this dual reality that he doesn't know how to get out of on top of that. Now he's stripped of his powers. And so now he's just a regular human being versus this other Barry who has just met him and is kind of going through a bit of like a, a power trip in a way where, where he he's even less experienced than Barry number one. And so that's really interesting too, because then you, you, really start to watch how Barry number one is rapidly going through this maturing process of realizing how, first of all, he, he understands that there are certain facets of himself that are quite immature, but also two, realizing that it causes Barry number one to very much have to like take on more of that adult role and be more responsible not only that, but having the knowledge of what happens to his mom and how this Barry number two doesn't know how he's trying to keep that information from him. So again, it's a very slippery slope, but it's one of those delicious slippery slopes in terms of storytelling that I I just, it's a part of time travel that I just absolutely find fascinating and terrifying at the same time. I mean, it makes for like more of that edge of your seat entertainment. Now, another aspect of this movie that I want to touch on really quick is the fan service. And this film has it in droves. I was watching uh, online for different types of comments and, and reactions. And it's interesting to me how there have been a number of negative reactions to the fan service. I honestly really liked just about all of the fan service itself. I mean, the fact that they had... Um, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman come in for a scene was fantastic. We have, of course, Michael Keaton, which I'm going to really talk about here in just a moment, uh, reprise his role as Batman. We also had um, several scenes at the end where, you know, we we got kind of a glimpse into all of these parallel realities, the kind of a a glimpse into the, the, the multiverse itself. 
and seeing different types of supermen and supermen that have existed from other types of movies and TV shows suddenly make these cameos. It's interesting how online there seemed to be a certain group of folks who really had a negative response. One of which I do agree with, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but basically I think it was the first person who actually played Superman. I went into um, some of the, the Wikipedia stuff on it and noticed that this, I don't know if this is 100% true, but the general consensus is that that particular actor ended up committing suicide because of how he was stuck playing in the Superman role and he couldn't get other work and he just kind of got into a bad place and unfortunately ended his life. That I can understand in terms of like not wanting to cheapen his legacy or cheapen him as a human being. I think that that kind of situation really demands more of a thoughtful approach. However, when it comes to Christopher Reeve, for example, I think that that was actually really well done. I, for one, got chills being in the theater seeing that type of fan service. Another example is with Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage was considered for the role of Superman, I want to say back in the 90s. And that project never got off the ground. But I mean, there were pictures that were taken of him in a Superman suit with kind of like a little bit of like kind of the Nicolas Cage longer hair as kind of like a test shoot. But that was really all we ever heard about. And I think there was some uh, little bit of rumor going around about how there were like these giant alien spiders or whatever that was were going to be a part of that particular film. Well, that film never got off the ground. And so what was super cool was how they ended up as fan service having a scene where we actually got to see a CG version of Nicolas Cage fighting one of these giant alien spider things. I thought it was one of the, the best CG moments of the entire movie. And not only that, but it, it plays into kind of the, the geekiness of what if, right? Like what could be, and I just, I really loved how they were doing this montage of showing how all these different realities take place within the multiverse and how they're paying homage to all these different types of, of supermans and superwomen, that sort of thing, supergirl. So for me personally, I mean, I had a very positive experience from that. I, I really didn't have any kind of negative reaction to it, except, of course, when I found out about that first gentleman who played as Superman and, and uh, had committed suicide, I was like, yeah, they probably could have either left him out or perhaps had a different way of paying homage to him uh, because that does get a little dicey at times. I just, I mean, in terms of the fan service, let, let's pivot over to Michael Keaton because this was one of the big selling points for me personally. As I've already stated, Michael Keaton, my man, my man. I, like, it was insane. To give you an idea, Batman, Tim Burton's Batman came out in 1989. I was 10 years old then. That dates me, Okay. I remember how there were so many facets of brilliance within that movie, whether it was the writing or the cinematography or the action sequences, the wardrobe, the direction, all of it, the acting. It was amazing. No one had ever seen 
a comic book movie being taken seriously like that before, because all we really had to go off of was the Adam West Batman TV show, which was, you know, was intentionally more campy was made in the sixties and so forth. But my goodness, I remember being absolutely floored. I remember the color purple being in vogue in 1989. I remember that was, that was something that was distinct to me as a kid that the Joker color purple was just like one of the, the trending colors of that year. And it was because of that movie, Jack Nicholson did such a masterful job. Not only in that film, but also too, in terms of Batman Returns, we get to see Michael Keaton once again, alongside Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, Christopher Walken, so on. Another movie that was so ahead of its time in terms of its storytelling and writing and performance and everything else. I mean, it was so amazing. And I, of course, am one of those fans that really always pined for having a third movie with Michael Keaton as Batman. And I felt like that was always kind of a... Um, an unfortunate situation where we never really got like the Michael Keaton trilogy. We did get the the Christian Bale trilogy, which I'm very uh, happy about, ecstatic actually, that that they were able to make a trilogy within the, the Christopher Nolan vision of Batman. So fast forward to the Flash movie, and now we actually get to see Michael Keaton. Not only do we get to see Michael Keaton reprise his role as Batman and Bruce Wayne, we they um, they really went to pains to be able to recreate his version of the Batcave as well as Wayne Manor. I have got to tell you that I had chill bumps up and down my arms, shoulders, legs. I mean, it was absolutely crazy to be in essentially this time capsule revisiting the Tim Burton vision of Bruce Wayne and Batman and to see Michael Keaton, who's obviously he's clearly older now. He still can deliver his lines flawlessly as Bruce Wayne and Batman. He, his, his persona of Bruce Wayne and Batman. It's just, it's a thing of beauty. It's fantastic. I mean, thank you to Michael Keaton who, said, okay, I'll put, I'll don the, the cape and cowl one more time because it's special. It, it's just a special thing for us fans who, uh, who love seeing him as Batman itself. It, it was just, oh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Anyway, it was fantastic to see how that relationship started to form between Barry and Bruce and like how in this version, which was kind of like the Tim Burton-esque uh, dual reality, how Supergirl was in there too. I thought Supergirl was great. I didn't, I didn't feel as though she was patronizing anybody or, or the audience. I felt that her presence was, was really spot on and, and um, added more to the situation. I love the idea how, due to Barry's actions, how most of, of the Justice League doesn't exist in this reality. I love the fact that they brought back General Zod and his crew. I thought that was really cool. Honestly, I wanted to see more of General Zod and, and kind of get more screen time in terms of the exposition of like what his motivations are. We did understand very briefly, kind of a Diet Coke version of what his motivations were in this particular reality. And there were certain moments like when we found out that he ended up killing Kal-El as a baby. I mean, that was like, whoa, that was, 
again, a, a big like WTF moment. But again, that's good storytelling because you just, as an audience member, it's like you almost feel violated. Like you're just like, you killed the man of steel as a baby before he got to earth. Like that's terrible. So a lot of, of different types of uh, big moments like that, that cause one to be able to kind of reassess kind of what's already been told to us and how, when you have more of that butterfly effect, um, how that, that is able to, to kind of uh, alter the, the, the course of time and, and the events Therein too. I mentioned this earlier, and I think that it's worth talking about a bit further, which is in the movie, we see how um, Barry Allen as a child is trying to figure out, I think it was a math problem. And his mom, noticing him get frustrated and can't figure it out, she made the comment about how certain problems are you just can't fix, you know, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be able to. Um, find closure regardless of the fact that you can't solve every problem that's out there. I think in terms of the film itself, um, there is some conflict with that theme in the sense that I don't think that they were able to fully explore that. They do to a certain extent in the sense that Barry realizes that at the end of the day, he just cannot save his mom, you know, and that is, that is a certain type of um, conclusion that he has to just, for better or worse, come to terms with. And I did like how he was able to come up with a different type of scenario in order to save his father. And I thought that was really well done. What I think is worth pointing out is that when I think about what Warner Brothers has done with the the DCEU over the past 10 years, I want to say, because I think Man of Steel came out in 2013. Yeah, I think that's, that's about right. Warner Brothers has been, and this is just as an outsider, just looking at what they've put out there over the last 10 years, they seem to be more on a reactionary front where they come out with Man of Steel, they see um, kind of what the audience response was to that film. So then in the next film, they decide to place more of an emphasis on the areas that perhaps the fans had issue with. But then that causes an imbalance within that, that film for fans to be able to complain about something else. And so then the next DCEU film that comes out after that places more of an emphasis on the areas that, that the, the fans were complaining about with that previous film. So that seemed to be going on and on and on um, with each one of them. And so it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to think about how this being the theme for the flash and again, this, this may just be something that for me is, is an observation that I've noticed is that instead of Warner Brothers having this very confident approach with how they're going to execute on the DCEU, it was almost like they got rabbit ears and they were just trying to pivot as best they could based off of the feedback they were getting from the fans rather than just stepping confidently forward and saying, this is our vision. This is, this is what we want to be able to... Uh, showcase. And I do think that was one of the reasons why the DCEU never really truly got its footing in terms of being like this organic ecosystem, the way Marvel does, you know, Marvel studios. And we've talked about this on the program many times in the past. Marvel has done a masterful job of creating the standalone hero movies and then 
consolidating and bringing those standalone heroes together for like the Avengers movies, for example. It's a textbook example of how this type of universe can exist and be successful and, and, you know, bring the fans into that, that emotional attachment and customer captivity. I do think in terms of the DCEU, we started to see inklings of that starting mostly with Shazam. I mean, if you think about the original Shazam, that was kind of the, one of the first movies that I recall where you had certain cameos from, from other DC heroes come in. And that was where we really started to get that sensation that, Oh wow. Like this, these, these heroes are not siloed into these movies and have no interaction with each, with each other whatsoever. Yes. They actually do have this kind of symbiotic sandbox that they all exist and play in. And we got to see that more with Shazam too. And especially with the Flash movie, you know, we got to see, like I mentioned earlier, we got to see Wonder Woman. We saw Batman, Ben Affleck's Batman and Michael Keaton's Batman. We got to see some of the other Supermans and so forth. So that's, that is a direction that is a big win in my book. Like, I really do think that moving forward, that's how they should do. Like with James Gunn, for example, at the, the creative helm, my hope is, is that he is taking pains to, make sure that that this this um, yarn that he's going to spin is interconnected with all these different heroes so that way we have almost like, it's kind of like the Disneyland of heroes, right? We're like, you have all these characters that exist within this, this land or this world or universe and it's okay to be able to kind of like have them make cameos in each other's films so long as they make sense. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how James Gunn moves forward with that. But I've digressed quite a bit from Mr. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, oh my goodness, the suit looked amazing. I ended up buying the poster. I have the Flash movie poster of just Michael Keaton as Batman once again. I love it. I need to get a matte and frame for it. But it was neat to see how time, at least in terms of, of where Barry has come into this reality, it, you know, you see an older Michael Keaton, you see um, more of it. But I think what's awesome is the abilities of CG and action sequences have definitely improved over the last 30 plus years since when they did Batman and Batman Returns for Tim Burton's vision of Batman. And so now we get to see these, these really epic battle sequences, these fight sequences with Michael Keaton it's just awesome. The Batwing was fantastic. It was amazing. I loved how the cockpit remained stationary while the exterior was able to like rotate itself. Just super cool. You could tell the technology was older. It was more like outdated, but you know, perhaps like in that parallel reality, it was actually cutting edge. Who knows? But I did like more of the, the tactile, uh, you know, kind of more older school version of the buttons and stuff that, you know, they're, they're not the bleeding edge of technology that we know currently in, in our world today, but it was a lot of fun to be able to see that type of, of set dressing and, and uh, set pieces, that sort of thing. Super, super cool. And I really loved his involvement with the different uh, battle sequences at the end. Overall, I'm really thankful and glad that he was in there because I really felt as though he contributed a, a lot to the movie in terms of, of making it 
a memorable film. And it makes sense too, because once again, Barry Allen being the time traveler and being able to bounce around the multiverse, it's a, it's a perfect setup for that. Moving on toward uh, close to the end of the film, I like I mentioned earlier, I really did enjoy seeing how he came to terms with the fact that he could not fix this problem. This was an unfixable problem regarding his mom. But at the same time, he was able to alter his father's fate so that he would not uh, necessarily go to jail and, and be exonerated and so forth. At the same time, let's talk about the ending. One of the, f like, I don't know, the most, I can't even, like, I can't even think of the word, but, like, basically, like, the, one of the biggest surprises, I guess I could say, is when Barry comes out of the courthouse, his father's been exonerated, he thinks uh, things are on the up and up, and he gets a call from Bruce Wayne, and who shows up, but instead of it being Ben Affleck, it's George Clooney. That was brilliant. I gotta say that was genius because it's well known that Batman and Robin is hands down the worst Batman film out of every Batman movie that has been made thus far. And that George Clooney just really was not a good Bruce Wayne uh, or Batman for that, that matter. And I mean, kudos to George Clooney for being a good sport, right? Like, like that's really cool. I'm glad that, that he signed on for it. And it was such a perfect way to be able to, once again, bring home this, this concept of the butterfly effect, how by changing like one seemingly like insignificant aspect of the past or this, this type of reality or whatever, it can completely alter what happens when you go back to your present, because no matter what, you're going to have some like alternate version of your present. And that was just such a, it was to me, it was like the perfect way to end that movie. I thought, I thought it was, <laughs> and even, you know, Barry's line, his line of like, well, who the F is this guy? You know, like that to me is like the universal comment that the audience is making when they see the reveal of who Bruce Wayne is really well done. Very well done. I do think it's also important to talk about the spaghetti analogy, because I think that this was actually a really simple way of being able to explain not only how time travel works in this instance, but also how the multiverses all exist. And I just loved how Michael Keaton was able to like talk about like having these different um, spaghetti noodles that have not been cooked yet and like placing his finger in the middle and being able to talk about how like your plane of existence is this. But if you decided to break off and whatnot, you still live right here. But then the more you meddle with it and the more you discover them, then you realize how the multiverse can quickly turn into a big bowl of spaghetti and he said something about the sauce, about like, this is all the crap that happens like when you mess with it or something. Anyway, terrific storytelling in my opinion. I really bought into that. I liked how it was very easy to digest. You know what I'm saying? And uh, again, it plays into this notion of how there are different types of theories as to how if time travel were to exist, how does it work exactly? And it's interesting because there have now been a couple of films. You know, the Avengers Endgame was another one where they referenced Back to the Future. 
the Flash movie also references Back to the Future in terms of how they explain time travel. I do think that this instance of, of how they explained it with the spaghetti is a really neat concept. So overall, um, I really had a fun time with this movie. I think it had a lot of interesting story elements to it. The storytelling was really well done. I bought into the relationship of Barry and his mom and dad. I bought into the idea of him running into another version of himself. I honestly thought that that's that Barry number two would become reverse flash, but I was wrong. And we come to find out that this, um, this other alien entity that, that kind of shoved Barry into this, this dual reality was actually Barry number two, who was trying to fix all this stuff that was going wrong within his reality. I also forgot to, to mention about how there is like a sense of weight to the, the, the idea that Barry number two suddenly being thrust into the situation, understanding that his reality was going to come to an end, was doing everything he possibly could to stop that from happening, to alter um, the course that had been set. But at the same time, by doing that, he had meddled in his space-time continuum so much, as well as these other parallel realities, you could see like all of a sudden, like he was almost unrecognizable because it was just eroding like his very essence away. And that too, you know, that, that there was a lot of gravity to that situation. And um, I think it was also important to, to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, if that was my reality, I would feel compelled to do everything I possibly could. There is a conflict that's there where at what point do you accept that this is a problem that you just can't fix and that your reality will come to an end versus doing everything you possibly can to try and save it? Because, Hey, it's your life. It's your home. It's your, um, you know, spaghetti of reality, so to speak. And I think that that's, that speaks highly to a lot of the storytelling within this movie in the sense that there are a number of different instances that, I don't think are, are trivial. I think a lot of it um, could, it could have even gone even further in terms of, of what are the consequences for every action. There's a reaction, you know, what are, what, what is the, the sense of responsibility that go, that, that can go on from these different learning experiences and so forth. And honestly, I think back to the future probably did, in my opinion, a better job of being able to explain all of those, um, those, those things listed the CG. Like I said, some of the CG was, was good. Some of the CG was really bad and it's unfortunate because that really takes the movie down a couple of pegs just because it was so jarring to see that it's, it, it is unfortunate. I do think that it, it, it does serve as a bit of a bookend for the Zack Snyder vision of the Justice League and the DCEU. I am curious to see what's going to happen moving forward with James Gunn being at the, the creative helm and seeing what's going to go on as a result of that. But overall, I would say I would give this movie three stars. I had fun. I had a good time. If you're a comic book fan, if you're a Flash fan, I do think that you will have a nice time at the theater watching this movie. I do think that moving forward, it'll be interesting to see what future iterations of the flash will bring with it. 
I think the Flash is a fascinating character. I think he is integral to the Justice League. I really love how every member of the Justice League has their place and their value and their purpose for being there. So we'll just have to see. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it financially helps me continue doing the podcast. Also, click on that subscribe button as well as that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm that drops once a week each week. You could also do a search on your favorite social media platform of choice for Joygasm TV, spelled J-O-Y, G-A-S-M-T-V. And I post, uh, you know, fun little behind-the-scenes pictures and videos and stuff that I come across and geek out, want to share with all of you. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see me stream my gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. would love to see you. I have enjoyed hanging out with you this week, and I can't wait to do it again next week.